Hey, welcome my friends! You've entered Philosopher's Forge, where each episode uncovers non-conformist ways of thinking to increase our meaningful engagement with life. Every phenomenal man or woman, living or dead, possesses at least one common core attribute, a crystal clear understanding of why they think the way they think. In other words, they're dialed in on their life philosophy. So congratulations, by showing up here today, you've chosen to dial in on yours. In doing so, you invite greater health, greater wealth, and further progress towards your full potential. Thanks for being here. Hey, welcome everybody. Today is the third episode of the Philosopher's Forge podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, you'll notice I'm going to be taking a different tone here today, and uh, hopefully we're also going <laughs> to take a lot less time. Uh, the last two episodes were each like an hour and 15 minutes long. The goal for this one is to not exceed uh, 45 minutes. So uh, today we're going to be talking about, uh, today's title for the podcast is Our Solemn Duty to Remember, um, but not just remember anything. Uh, to remember atrocities. And I don't mean in a negative dwelling way. And I'm not talking about um, fear-mongering. I'm not talking about expecting terrible things to happen. When I mean remembering atrocities, I mean understanding the horrors that have happened throughout history and remembering how terrible they are so that we don't repeat it. Um, it was, it was George Santayana, the English Spanish philosopher and poet who said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And that was in the life of reason in 1905. It's really important, guys, for us to open our eyes to the struggles other people are facing. The things I've experienced, those are Mickey Mouse problems. The things that a lot of us have experienced are Mickey Mouse problems. Um, today, we're going to be talking about um, Elie Wiesel. Um, he is winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, um, and he wrote the book series Night, Dawn, and Day, um, but for today, we're just going to focus on night. Um, I have not yet had the, the um, solemn pleasure of reading Dawn and Day, but uh, he was a Holocaust survivor, so needless to say, today's topic is is it's heavy um those who experienced the holocaust are the only people who will ever know what it's like um but Elie Wiesel in his preface said that hopefully through the publishing of this work and works like these those who've never been through the holocaust who can never know what it's like may at the very least understand 
a semblance of what it was like. And so that is the per that is one of the purposes of today to help us understand what it's like. And if you've heard stuff about the Holocaust before and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I studied that in school in depth or I understand what it is, like whatever, it's it's good to remind ourselves frequently. So so hang in with me today, all right? If you've heard stories like this plenty of times, listen to another one. Cause it's not gonna hurt you. It it may be hard to hear or sad and, and don't worry, I'm gonna be sensitive and respectful and reverent about how I approach this, but it's gonna be sad. But it's that's why we have to remember so we never again do anything of the sort to any other people ever any of us and so those are some of the these are some of the messages that I'm hoping we all will gain from today today is Elie Wiesel's story but he's not the only one who survived the Holocaust many others have written books who've survived the Holocaust uh, Victor Frankl wrote a really good one called Life's uh, excuse me Man's Search for Meaning go check that one out um, Corey Tenboom wrote The Hiding Place, another really good one. So there are, there, if I were to guess, there's probably hundreds of books out there from different people, from different walks of life that in some way or another were either considered Jews or were condemned by the German and Russian militaries. Um... And, and sent to one of the extermination or concentration camps. So today we're going to be focusing on Elie Wiesel's story. And um, I just finished reading this book. And it, it really is, a, New York Times called it a slim volume of terrifying power. And, and those are the words that were coming to my mind as I wanted to simply describe this book um, the point of today and I'm going to be very sensitive and very delicate about how I approach a lot of his experiences and some of them I I will probably not um, some of them I'm not going to go into um, any detail about others I will I will just recommend hey go pick up the book on your own time but just recognize it's not for the faint of heart. There's not any fluff in it. There's not any... I mean, it's it's 120 pages. It's very short. But it's it's the nitty-gritty... Uh, excuse me, not the nitty-gritty. It's, it's the meat and potatoes of many individuals experienced during the Holocaust. So just understand that today I'm going to do my absolute best to approach this with reverence and respect... Um, so hopefully you don't hear like sad, sadness is, it is sad. And, and I, I suppose I am sad after having finished it. It is sad that we as human beings are so stupid as to forget, forget what others go through or, or to even be blind and ignorant to begin with in such a way where we think that joking about race or sex or really joking or, 
or any kind of sarcasm into bullying is is okay at all. Um, and I understand that seems like a an odd connection. Um, but many of you, especially any of you who may enjoy history and history classes and kind of dive into um, the philosophical side of history, um, understand that the Holocaust wasn't just um, one people trying to genocide another people. What happened first was they were dehumanized. Um, Hitler worked very hard to take over the media and to make the Jews sound like, oh, you know, they're encroaching in our space. They need to go to their own churches. They need to go to their own stores. It kind of started with segregation, right? We've seen that many times throughout history, but especially here. They separated the Jews, said, okay, you guys go over here, we'll be over here. And that's where it started. It wasn't, there was nobody getting beaten. There was nobody being sent to camps. There was nobody being torn away from their families. It started with, you guys are, are inferior humans. That's how it started. And, and control of the mass media that was producing those statements. Well, what happened was it progressed into, okay, you guys are inferior humans. Now you're actually a little less than human. You're less than humans. Um, still human, you're just, just less than them, though. And that's when they started being beaten in the streets by other, uh, other commoners, if you will, and, and a lot of officers, mainly. Um, and then eventually it progressed to their animals. Like... The Jews are, are not even worthy of life. You know, they need to be exterminated. And how terrible. And how terrible. And, and let that be a warning against any kind of scorn or, or mistreatment of anybody simply because of their race, religion, sex or other kind of life orientation and, and I know that sounds a little extreme to say oh come on Sterling that me me thinking something not so nice about this person who's a part of a particular race that's not mine that's that's not, that doesn't mean I'm going to try to send them to a concentration camp. Like, come on, like, you're going too far. But that's always where it starts, right? We start by justifying us being better than them. That's what it comes down to, us against them. And we've got to remember, we're, we're all brothers and sisters under the human race. We all have very similar genes in our blood okay we're not monkeys we're not fish we're not spiders we're not birds we're human beings capable of meaningful interactions with each other and 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 how dare we judge somebody else for something on the surface 
whether it's a, a smell, a facial expression, um, an outward expression of, of religious practice, or, or somebody carries themselves a certain way, so we assume, oh, they must be this way. It's me against them. And I'm very guilty of that myself throughout my life. I've, for a while, I was, I kind of got stuck into a victimhood mentality and thought, oh, everybody's out to get me. And, and I thought some not very loving and, and centered thoughts myself simply because somebody was not exactly like me. And so that's kind of the disclaimer up front is this episode is to caution us to avoid letting such atrocities happen in the future. We have a solemn duty to remember the struggles of other people. And, and if we ourselves have faced similar struggles, then let us make sure nobody else needs to. All right? Let, it, let us say the buck stops here. Like I'm the last that needs to experience this. And let's try to find ways that we can grow closer together and, and watch each other's back. So thank you for being here today. And uh, without further ado, I'll uh, get into the meat and potatoes of today for those of you who uh, are like, just get to the point already. <laughs> we're, we're getting there. We've arrived. Um, Elie Wiesel was... Um, almost 13, uh, about 13 years old when he was taken from his home in Siget, which is a city that is now a part of Romania. Um, and he was taken to Auschwitz, um, and didn't, uh, didn't obtain freedom until he was 16 years old. So he spent three years in a couple of, of different concentration camps, um, Buchenwald, and the Auschwitz being uh, two of the main ones that he spent time in. Um, but when it all began, they were in their hometown, and it began with, you know, there were just German officers that were boarding and lodging with, with even some of the Jews, and there, was, there weren't any hostilities taking place. They were coexisting pretty peacefully. Um, and slowly things began to change in the government in Germany. The fascist party took over and won power. And, and, and Ellie even says, yeah, we, we knew they took over. We knew the fascists were in control. Uh, but foolishly, we, we thought that nothing would change. We thought nothing would happen. So oftentimes, the atrocities that happen do, do start with the the extremists gaining power in a country. Um, so the fascists gained power. Officers moved into people's homes. And it was peaceful at first. And then the segregation began. And they had to go to their own synagogues. And they had to... And they were told they couldn't pray in public. But once it progressed and got worse, and, and once orders began being sent out to actually liquidate... Um, the cities and the towns where all these Jews were living in, um, they were all uh, loaded up into cattle cars and, and similar vehicles and transport trucks, some of them military, some of them just 
rinky-dinky uh, cattle trucks. And they were loaded up and, and sent to one camp or another. Most of them were, were typically camps that were close by to the towns they had been taken from. Others were transported a very long ways. But um, uh, Wiesel was pulled away from his mother and sisters and, and managed to, to remain with his father, which he talks about being a blessing and a curse. Um, blessing being with his father and knowing he's well and it, by well I mean alive and then a curse um, because he has to watch his father suffer and he's got to watch his his father struggle through all these um, unkindnesses that the Nazis were committing against um, him his father and the Jews but um uh, upon the arrival at the first concentration camp that he went through, which was Birkenau, um, he was pulled away from his mother and sisters. They were separated off into one line. Um, that line was the the individuals that were being filed into the crematorium and um, in order to be sensitive to the ages of all listeners, I'm uh, not going to define what that is. But they were separated off in the line going towards the crematorium. And he and his father were sent off to the the work portion of the camp um, to begin laboring and carrying sand and, and stone. But he deals um, with what are called selections where the weak are separated off. Um, because in, in uh, the fascist Nazism, um, the... Jews, the weak, the elderly, the homosexuals, anyone who wasn't um, an example of Aryan perfection, blonde hair, blue eyes, um, indoctrinated into the German culture from birth, and that, that kind of thing, those individuals, uh, anyone who didn't hit that category was separated off and, and sent to the, the crematorium and, and the, uh, the chambers. But that left him and his father alive and going through the, the various camps. And they experienced just some... They witnessed, and others have experienced even worse than they did, but they, they experienced the horror of witnessing their, their mother, their, their wives, their children being sent to these crematoriums and and to put it delicately they they witnessed the enkindling of the little ones and oh, how how terrible is that they witnessed the theft of one's virtue and innocence There, there were many times where, and, and they did their best to stick together and, and watch each other's backs. There were times where they would have friends as they went through these camps, or as close to a friend as you could have. Somebody, somebody who was nice and cordial. They, they didn't beat you. <laughs> Essentially, they didn't beat you. They didn't starve you. And so these friends or acquaintances of theirs, and even a couple of them that they did know before the Holocaust began... Um, they, they had their friends turn on them. Um, the individuals who experienced the Holocaust 
became more like animals than they did like people. Just kind of going to show that even our, our projections of people tend to have an impact. Because that, that's what Hitler and the Nazis were projecting to Germany and the world was these Jews are animals, creatures, like not even worthy of life. Until that's what they became. There were, there was a specific case where Elie Wiesel and all the other Jews were told to vacate the camp for a day. And it was because one of the capos, one of the, the German military leaders, wanted to, wanted the camp clear so that he could roll around in the dirt with, uh, with a young woman. And Ellie comes back a little earlier than he should. And, and he witnesses this happening. And, and the capo says, because you witnessed what happened, I'm, you get 25 lashings. And so in front of all the rest of the Jews, he's laid on top of a stone and, and receives 25 lashings. And he says he, he stopped feeling it after about the third one. Imagine experiencing so much pain that your nerves just shut off. They, they can no longer process the pain you're experiencing. It's, it's grim and it's, it's morbid and it's sad, but that is the reality of what happens when we, and by we I mean the collective world, any group of people allow themselves to stop seeing their fellow human beings as human beings. They see them as things, as objects, as animals. It becomes very easy to commit horrible atrocities when you don't think you're doing it to grandma or to, to grandpa or your mom or dad or your sister or your brother. You're doing it to these creatures of filth, these dogs. And that's, and that's how the Nazis viewed the Jews, as these filthy dogs that were a plague and a scourge. And so, he and his father were, were beaten very often. Often, most of the time it wasn't because they didn't do anything. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't break a rule. They just happened to be by one of the German officers who undoubtedly had split personality disorder and just began raving like a lunatic and and kind of went off the rails, grabbed grabbed Ellie and just started beating him senseless just for being in the room. Just for being there. Um as as he um as he was being transferred from Auschwitz to Buchenwald um, later in the book, he talks about the, the, the effects that starvation had begun to have on the minds of the other Jews. They, they became like animals. They were beating each other up. They were volunteering to help the capos brutalize their own fathers and brothers 
and and that's that's the reality of survival and it's a reality it's not the reality there were there are many and many stories uh, many published works of those who experienced horrible things were treated terribly and the entire time they kept a pleasant and loving air even a pity towards the Nazis um in the book The Hiding Place, uh, Corey Tenboom wrote that one. Her sister Betsy, Betsy Tenboom, and her father, um, the two of them, just the entire time, no matter what they experienced, no matter how they were taken advantage of or brutalized, just the entire time, they were like, I feel so sorry. And others would respond, Yeah, yeah, I feel so sorry too. And then they realized that they were talking about the German officers, you know. But in Wiesel's story, the Jews that he was around and, and that he was with, they they literally and this isn't metaphorical when I'm saying brothers and fathers, like, oh, we're all brothers and fathers under the human race. This is literal. A a son attacked his father and killed him for a crust of bread just for a small crust of bread and actually I'm gonna go a little more in depth with um, Wiesel's uh, recitation of of what happened he says a crowd of workmen and curious passerby had formed all along the train they were being transported from again from one camp to another they had undoubtedly never seen a train with this kind of cargo. Soon, pieces of bread were falling into the wagon from all sides, and the spectators observed these emaciated creatures ready to kill for a crust of bread. A piece fell into our wagon, and I decided not to move. Anyway, I knew that I would not be strong enough to fight off dozens of violent men. I saw, not far from me, an old man dragging himself on all fours. He had just detached himself from the struggling mob. He was holding one hand to his heart, and at first I thought he had received a blow to his chest. Then I understood. He was hiding a piece of bread under his shirt. With lightning speed, he grimaced. Uh, with lightning speed, he pulled it out and put it in his mouth. His eyes lit up. A smile, like a grimace, illuminated his ashen face. And was immediately extinguished. A shadow had lain down beside him, and this shadow threw itself over him. Stunned by the blows, the old man was crying, Mirror, my little mirror, don't you recognize me? You're killing your father. I have bread for you too, for you too. He collapsed, but his fist was still clutching a small crust. He wanted to raise it to his mouth, but the other threw himself on him. The old man mumbled something, groaned, and died. Nobody cared. His son searched him, took the crust of bread and began to devour it. So these were literal, literal sons and fathers, brothers and brothers, turning on each other, killing each other for a small crust of bread and, and similar scenarios. And a peel from a potato. Um, at one point they were eating snow off of each other's shoulders as it was 
snowing because they weren't allowed to bend over they weren't allowed to to move from where they were they were placed and corralled so they were literally eating the snow off of each other's shoulders puts a puts a lot of perspective on not wanting to eat our green vegetables huh <laughs> um puts into perspective pickiness not wanting to to eat a meal simply because it isn't the best meal we've ever had or isn't fried and deep battered and fried again and <laughs> I mean there's there are people who not only would kill for a crust of bread but have so all of this all of these experiences he's had and, and I've chosen to try to not give a ton of detail on some of these other things that he's experienced or witnessed but go read it for yourself the reason for this is to put into perspective our own problems and to remember these things to hold on to them because the cost of forgetfulness is high it's a price that we do not want to ever have to pay again um, Wiesel in regards to these these men who turned into animals and monsters trying to attack each other for for small scraps of food he says years later I witnessed a similar spectacle in Auden our ship's passengers amused themselves by throwing coins to the natives who dove to retrieve them an elegant Parisian lady took great pleasure in this game. When I noticed two children desperately fighting in the water, one trying to strangle the other, I implored the lady, Please, don't throw any more coins. Why not? said she. I like to give charity. Oh, how disgusting. To... To take pleasure in the suffering of someone else, especially if we're in a if we're in a better station in life and we have we have something to give, it's it's not make a game or a spectacle of those who need, but but genuinely give for them, not for us in some twisted guise of of receiving entertainment. And, and this was years after he got out of he, he got all, out of all the camps and became a free man he was witnessing this and even though this lady <laughs> even though this lady surely at this point was aware of some of the things that had happened to many of the survivors she still thought it was okay to, to treat people like objects and things. So let us remember every single one of us is a living, breathing, valuable, and precious human being. We all come from different walks of life. We all experience different things. We have different cultures. We have different preferences. We have different likes and dislikes. That does not erase the fact that we are brothers and sisters. 
period. So moving on here to a, a couple of concluding thoughts that are derived from um, the Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech, uh, which was delivered by Elie Wiesel in Oslo on December 10th, 1986. Um, it's not a super long speech, and I'm not going to read it, but I'm just going to point out a couple of things that he says here. Um, he says, I've tried to keep the memory alive. And he's, he's speaking of the things that happened in Auschwitz and, and many of the other concentration camps. I've tried to keep the memory alive, that I have tried to fight for those who would forget. Because if we forget, we are guilty. We are accomplices. Wow. We are accomplices. And, and let us, let us, he didn't, he didn't put it crystal clear, but we are accomplices to the works of death and terror like that of Nazism. If we forget. And, and the reason for that comes back to what, what George Santayana said and I, I, I'll repeat it he said those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it what's interesting is that was published in 1905 that was 30 to 40 years before the Holocaust and and the thing is people did forget they forgot then they forget still and they will continue to forget and so we have to remind ourselves we have to read Stories. We have to read books. We have to watch documentaries. And not just on the Holocaust. On all stations of human life. All, all, um, all backgrounds. All cultures. All eras in history. We have to familiarize ourselves with what has happened why it happened we have to to study that to voraciously consume material that will allow us to never again make these kinds of mistakes but to instead promote peace and prosperity and and warmth and tenderness towards those even those who would hurt or be rude or brutal to us whether that's verbally physically emotionally whatever it is Wiesel goes on to say, um, I swore never to be silent whenever and wherever human beings endure suffering and humiliation. We must take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. And, and, and that's so true, you guys. Any, any time a, 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 city-state, a province, a small country is trying to say, oh, we're not involved in this conflict, we're, we're not a part of this. They, they're wasted in a slew of violences that perhaps were not even meant for them, but they become a common casualty as a bystander because 
you are either for or against something. There is no there is no drifting. There is no coasting. Some people hope to be neutral or just coast through a struggle. And that doesn't happen because coast, coasting only goes one way. We coast downhill. We do not coast uphill. So if we want to say that we fight for honor, for the the welfare of mankind so that children may eat so that struggling countries can be supported so that the innocence and virtue of those can remain intact and protected we can't just say we hope and want and wish for those things and then just step back when bad things begin to happen we we have to act. We have to step in. We have to do something. We have to take a side. Because neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Um, he, he goes on to, to conclude and, and finish here and saying, human suffering anywhere concerns men and women everywhere. We have to remember that not only have has human suffering existed and endured throughout all of time, but it endures. It is still happening. <laughs> there are horrible things still happening. And there are wonderful things that are also happening. This, this is... This episode is purely designed to call us to attention. Hey, we have to be on guard against these ways of thinking. That people are objects. We have to be on guard against, I'm better than they are. We have to be on guard against indifference. We have to take a side. Because, and this is in his, his last paragraph or, or two in his speech, because what all these victims need above all is to know that they are not alone, that we are not forgetting them, that when their voices are stifled, we shall lend them ours, that while their freedom depends on ours, the quality of our freedom depends on theirs. Let us decide we will not forget. Let us decide that when we see mistreatment in any way, whether it's bullying, whether it's... You see a a, a man and a woman in public and and that woman is being treated in, in a way that is very disrespectful of her virtue. Or vice versa, whether you see a man being treated in a way that's disrespectful of his virtue, right? Is that, that, act, that happens to many men as well. Let us do something. Let us take action. We can't sit on the sidelines. We can't observe We're eventually going to be casualties. 
in such actions, whether we are the ones committing them or the ones that are committed against. So we have to take a stand. We have to do something. We have to remember. And so I, I call to action all of you honorable men and women who are intelligent, who have the ability to educate yourselves on what is happening right now, what is happening, what has happened through history. Um, times are changing and a storm is brewing and, and we have a duty to prepare for it. To be ready to, to answer whatever call is given. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your time. And let us remember the past so that we are not condemned to repeat it. Have a fantastic week. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for being here. Hey, you just listened to Philosopher's Forge. Thank you so much for being here today. The fact that you took the time out of your busy day with so many other potential uses of your time to listen to this podcast is proof that you're hungry for change. As with any kind of progress or growth, the key is consistency over time. That being said, I'll see you next time.